I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> Kia ora everybody. I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In this episode, I speak with Christian Newman. If you follow along on Instagram, they are love from your dads. Christian takes us through not only the birth of baby Frankie, but also their journey to pregnancy and fertility as a same-sex couple, where they're at in the adoption process and also adjusting to life for the newborn. Like I said, if you follow along on Instagram, love from your dads, Christian and Mark are really hilarious, but they actually share a really great message and also they share lots of pictures of baby Frankie, which is a massive plus because he is super cute. Enough talking from me. I will let Christian tell you the rest of Frankie's birth story and their life with a newborn. Hey, Christian. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. Kia ora. It's a pleasure. I'm stoked to be here. Awesome. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family for those who don't already know? Absolutely. So my name's Christian. I am one of two dads to our little boy, Frankie. Uh, my husband is Mark and our little boy, uh, George, is also part of the family. He's a little wee griffin slash uh, pug. So there's four little boys um, in total and we've got two girls. We've got Lucy and Violet who are our chickens. So we make six and uh, yeah, we are a pretty happy little family. Frankie's about seven months old, just gone seven months. And he's the most amazing, cutest, chill baby um, I think anyone's ever met by the sounds of it. We're pretty stoked with him. But, uh, yeah, we hear uh, that he's he's one of the happiest kids people have ever met. So, yeah, we're stoked. Yeah, amazing. I love uh, seeing all your snaps of him on Instagram. He is such a cutie. <laughs> he's pretty cute, eh? And what was the journey like to Frankie for you guys? Do you want to talk us through that? Shit, yes. I mean, it was a mission, to be honest. Like, yeah. I've, it's, it's a long story. I've wanted to have a child for a long, long time. Um, we first sort of started talking about it when we lived in Sydney, which was about uh, eight years ago. Um, it took a while to convince Mark to, you know, have a family. And, um, we finally got to that point maybe four years ago where we decided, yeah, okay, it's about time. We'd moved back to New Zealand. Mark had started his business. We were pretty comfortable and, you know, our living environments and everything else that we were doing from a work perspective. So it was definitely time for us to uh, take that next step. So it took a little bit of convincing. Um, I'm pretty persistent. So Mark, uh, yeah, Mark basically said, yeah, let's, let's push the go button. And that was um, Christmas, New Year kind of time. I'd say about five years ago, um, we decided then um, what we would do, how we would, how we would do it. Uh, so I just started asking friends and family. You know, dropping the seed and seeing what uh, what people would think about that. 
we weren't really that aggressive on our plan. Um, you know, it was very much sort of planting that seed and letting people think about it. Um, we discussed it with parents. Uh, that didn't go down so well. You know, my parents were sort of of the opinion, oh, just travel and enjoy life. You don't need to have kids. My dad's kind of a little bit religious and, you know, he doesn't, he took a while to come around to the fact that we were gay uh, or that I was gay and um, that I was in a relationship with a man and all that sort of things. Um, you know, it took a while, 10, what are we in now? Probably about 13, 14 years in. Um, they're finally, finally sort of pretty happy with uh, the choices that I've made, particularly with my husband, with Mark. So that's good. Um, we, so we got through those sort of, those sort of stages, which was a bit of a challenge in itself. And then, um, yeah, we decided that actually there was no friends or family that were able or willing to help um, from a surrogate point of view. And so we decided three years ago to start a Facebook page based on a friend's suggestion. I had thought about it before, but didn't really want to put it out there. You know, it's, it's pretty public and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. by that stage, I was like, oh, who cares? You know, screw it. Let's just get into it. And did you get the response that you had expected from Facebook or what was that like? Yeah, we had an amazing response from Facebook. We got about two and a half thousand followers. And from there, we had probably a hundred or so people put their hand up and message us oh, and say wow. that they were really interested in, in being a, uh, a surrogate for us. Uh, we went through a bit of a, uh, a spreadsheet exercise where we categorized people, you know, who smokes, who's exercising, what age are they, um, have they had kids before, all of these sort of things. And uh, we watered it down to about seven or eight people. And slowly we went through that process with them. And as time went by, they kind of fell off the um, off the list because you know health reasons or they they pulled out or their partner wasn't keen on them doing it or um, they had work commitments etc etc so about six months later we started that search again so we went back out and said hey look I know we sort of closed off those the entries as it may be uh, and um, we're now looking again for a, a surrogate and from there we got two people that stood out like they were amazing that had kids they were they were everything that we were looking for. When we first started that journey, we were kind of a little bit, you know, we were hopeful. And as soon as we got the first person to say they wanted to, uh, to be our surrogate, we're like, holy shit, this is amazing. We've actually got someone that's interested. And then the yeah. second round, we were like, okay, we need to be really picky because actually this is a massive commitment um, on their behalf and they need to be fully aware of what's required. And uh, from the people that previously had said they wanted to do it, that selection criteria um, gave us a little bit more information and made it clearer for us on what we actually needed. And to be honest, I was quite blunt. Um, you know, there were some pretty hardcore questions around what would you do if uh, the baby had any issues? Um, you know, would there be termination discussions? Um, you know, health issues from their end? Uh, is their partner involved or uh, what are their thoughts on it? Do they have kids? Have they discussed it with the kids? So a full range of different things to discuss and to think about before they actually applied. And so when they, the two people that did apply, they knew exactly what they were getting into and had a pretty blunt upfront discussion around it, which was interesting because from the beginning where we were just desperate for anyone, we were like, yeah, you'll be great. Yeah, 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 you'll be fine. You know, sort of brush over the detail. Um, the second round was very much a, we were quizzing them and making sure they were suitable, which was yeah. kind of um, a twist of the tail, to be honest. So 
we went down that uh, that whole road and we got two amazing people, one down in Carpety Coast. She was a little bit older. She'd had two kids and then a lady in Auckland who was an ambulance officer. She was into volunteering. She had also had two kids, but she was only uh, at the time 28 or 29 um, and she was closer to where we lived. So her work was actually just down the road from our apartment. So we met her for a coffee um, almost immediately as soon as we possibly could and um, basically she was amazing. We walked away just going, oh, God, I I hope she I hope she says yes and I hope she's still keen to do it and sure enough she was and so that was Alicia uh, and Alicia and and ourselves have sort of built that relationship from there uh, we spent a lot of time together we met her partner at the time uh, we met her kids um, we had barbecues and went out for dinner and that sort of stuff she'd obviously been over to our place uh, we discussed everything that was required from medical insurance making sure that uh, she was to have an obstetrician uh, because her prior births had been a little bit difficult. Uh, her medical history, you know, you name it, there weren't things that we didn't discuss. Um, yeah. And then from there, she kind of committed to it and she said, yeah, cool, I'm ready to do it. So that's when we started the fertility process and we went through fertility associates. Uh, I basically just set up my wage bill, my wages to go straight to their account uh, going forward for the next year or so. Yeah. Um, it's not a cheap process, but it was definitely something we were willing to and, and had committed to. And so, yeah, we did a whole lot of counselling through Fertility Associates. Um, actually, I need to step back a little bit because while we had an, a, a surrogate, uh, Alicia wasn't prepared to provide her eggs, and actually we weren't we weren't looking for someone to provide the eggs. We wanted um, just someone to carry the embryos, essentially, and carry the child. And so prior to that, we had asked a couple of friends and family uh, whether or not they'd be an egg donor, and we had a, a friend set up in Melbourne. She was she's from New Zealand. She's Maori, and uh, we were really keen to have her eggs. Uh, however, as the process drew forward, she had said yes. As the process drew drew on we understood that actually the complexities of having somebody living in Melbourne and she was around 36 at the time. She had had kids, etc. cetera. Um, however, we were advised one, because she's a little bit older, the eggs are less likely to be uh, successful. And secondly, that being in Melbourne, it was more complicated. So uh, getting the, um, the ethics committee essentially in New Zealand. So I'll talk a little bit about that soon. Um, ethics committee in New Zealand and in Australia to agree. And then the transportation of the eggs, whether or not she came over to New Zealand. Um, and then you had to harvest them. And, and there's a whole process around timing and dates and, um, I think estrogen levels or certain levels in the blood, et cetera. So it's a very specific scientific, um, process that you have to go through. We decided actually that we should look for somebody in New Zealand. And so we had to set out on the, on the search for finding an egg donor. Uh, and that was when we asked our sister-in-law. So Mark's little brother, Sam, has been with his partner, Elisa, for about eight or nine years. So at that stage, we've about seven years. And uh, we broached that subject with her. We had asked her previously, and she, she sort of said, oh, I don't know, maybe, you know, I'm not going to discount it. I'm not ready right now. I don't know if I'm going to have kids. So this is a, a bit of an insurance policy for us. Um, so, yeah, she kind of came around, um, or didn't kind of come around, she came around and she said, yeah, she's really keen to do it. And uh, she spoke to her family and made the decision. So we were stoked because while we're kind of keeping it in the family, um, there is still that, that slight bit of distance. And, uh, yeah, Lisa came to the party and, and donated her eggs. So we went through that process with her. But part of the uh, the ethics committee was that we had to have a whole lot of counselling. And so the counselling was with both Alicia and also Elisa. 
Now it gets very confusing because at the time we were also living with an Elisa, um, who was oh our flatmate. So between Elisa, Alicia, and Elisa, nobody knew who we were talking about. So Elisa <laughs> is our sister-in-law, and she is the egg donor, and Alicia uh, is from Nelson, and she is the surrogate. Uh, so we went through counselling, three rounds of counselling, each with each couple, and then all of us combined as well. We had to go through lawyers and get lawyers to sign off and provide information around the law and why we wanted to do this and how it was going to work, etc. cetera. Uh, and then, of course, we had to, once all of that was done and we had our medical tests, we had to then finally start the process. So Elisa started by donating her eggs. Uh, she's super healthy. She's vegan. She was at the time around 24, 25 when she donated her eggs. Uh, she is super athletic. Um, she's Chilean. That doesn't really count for, you know, how many eggs she's going to get. But, um, yeah, the, the overall story is that she had a record number of eggs. I think it was around 72 or 74 eggs, wow. uh, which the clinic at Fertility Associates were just like, what? Test tubes just keep coming. And the doctor and the young people behind the glass were like, what's happening here? What's happening? So, yeah, it was a, it was an amazing result. Absolutely amazing. And um, Elisa was really happy with the outcome, as were we. So we've got a hell of a lot of it. I think we've, that's about I don't know, six or seven rugby teams that we've got uh, sitting <laughs> yeah. in the freezer all ready for us um, over time. <laughs> um, of those, we then had to fertilize them. Um, some of them weren't mature enough, et cetera. And I think by the time they were fertilized, we had about 55 or 56 fertilized embryos. Um, oh, sorry. No, that's not right. 56 uh, eggs, and then of those, we fertilized half um, with my sperm, and then we will in future fertilize the other half with Mark's sperm. Uh, so I think, yeah, lo- lots of numbers, but there's around 12 embryos that are still sitting in the freezer, and we've still got 25 eggs uh, in the freezer as well for Mark's sperm for our next uh, our next process. Yeah. So awesome. then we... Um, yeah, so then we, we waited a little while. Alicia had a few commitments. She moved to Christchurch where she worked uh, as an ambulance officer and was training to do her um, ICU paramedic training. So she moved down there for a year, um, which put a little bit of a, um, a bit of a halt on the process around uh, the actual um, implantation of those embryos. And by September 2016, I think it was, Alicia gave me a call one day and just said, hey, should we have a baby? I was like, what? What? What are you ready? What's happening? Yes, yes, let's make it happen. When? Now? Today? Let's do it. And so she was ready. She was excited. And she was like, I could come up this weekend. And I was like, great, do it. So um, we contacted Fertility Associates and told them we were ready. And, uh, of course, we then had to start the process. And that was quite a long-winded process where dates had to be set. You had to work with the, you know, the stars and the moon and everything had to align. Uh, and, um, yeah, basically, long story short, uh, the embryo was implanted and it took first time. Uh, so within a couple of weeks, we knew that we had a little baby, um, which was hella exciting. And, yeah, uh, yeah from then we just um, we just set up flights for her to come up every um, every now and then to go to the obstetrician and make sure that everything was growing. Of course, I'm a bit of a control freak, so I wanted to know what was going on every day. So I was always calling and texting, and poor Alicia would have been like, oh, for God's sake, if she'd had two children already, this was just another pregnancy for her. The pregnancy was absolutely amazing. She, um, she was great. There was no complications at all. It was a super easy pregnancy. Um, she wasn't sick. She just went about her, her daily life and didn't really notice too much of a difference until towards the end. Um, and then when the actual labor took place, that was when it all kind of um, kicked in and, and Alicia was in labor for two days. Frankie just wasn't ready to come out. Um, he was induced on day one and then overnight um, 
they stopped the IV and then she, um, yeah, we all went home and then the next day they broke her waters at 8.30 in the morning at the hospital um, and we were still at home and she was like, hey, what time are you going to come in? Because they're about to break my waters. We're like, oh, what? Shit, okay. We'll be there in 15 minutes. So um, we headed on in and by that stage they'd broken her waters and she was sitting on the end of the bed looking like a ghost um, and yeah. was just in pain and the contractions had started and uh, that basically lasted all day right through at 2 o'clock the doctor came in and said, okay, you know, you're still not dilated any further in fact you've gone backwards um you know we don't know what's wrong the baby's not coming out it's the right way up everything looks looks to be correct um and so by if he hasn't come out in the next three hours uh, we'll make a call and we'll be going into surgery no she just said she just said we'll make a call and uh, we all sort of we just went quiet and i sort of thought after about 10 15 seconds i said what do you mean we'll make a call what does what does that mean and the doctor's like oh We'll go to, we'll go to surgery. And we're like, okay. Now the interesting thing was that Alicia from day one wanted to have a, a C-section. She said, look, I want to have a C-section because I've got two kids. My mum's going to be in Europe. I want to know the date that this is going to happen. I've got to get back to work. You know, this, that, and the next thing. And, um, she was actually talked out of it because numerous reasons, but yeah, she was talked out of it and said, look, we can set a date. We can have the induction. And, um, after everything that she went through, she had the induction, failed, and then she was cut open. Um, so she was a little bit gutted. And as were we, I mean, you know, the horror stories of things that can go wrong, complications and all that sort of stuff, I kind of started panicking. We were already freaking out, sitting there, so helpless. You know, there was not a lot we could yeah. do. Um, Alicia didn't really have any support people there other than us in the hospital room. Elisa was with us, um, but, you know, she was having the um, that thing that goes in the spine um, with the – the drugs. Um, epidural? Is that cool? Yeah, she had the epidural. So that was good yeah. early on, um, which helped a little bit. But, you know, she was just, you could tell she was in so much pain and we just felt so helpless. We're like, oh, my God, everything that she's done for us and now all of this is happening as well. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of difficult from our end. We were excited, but it was kind of scary and, and we felt super helpless as well. Um, but, yeah, by 5 o'clock, the uh, obstetrician came back and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to be going into surgery and uh, so, yeah, she said, do you guys want to come in? I was like, hell yeah, I want to be there. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately, the the person that's in charge of the surgery would only allow one of us in. So, Mark had to stand through the door and look through the glass. Um, and, obviously, I went in and sat beside Alicia and, uh, yeah, watched everything unfold. It was pretty traumatic, to be honest. Uh, yeah. They drugged Alicia up and she obviously didn't feel anything. But watching the birth unfold, I actually filmed it. Um, with permission, of course. <laughs> and, uh, she, yeah, the doctors got into it and were really, there's a lot of force and there's a lot of pressure on her body, um, yeah. pushing the baby out like a, almost from one end, like a big pimple from, you know, getting down and putting full yeah. body weight on. And then to open up the, um, open up the area, they literally leaned back and were pulling the skin, um, with the full body weight behind them. It was, it was unreal to watch it. And again, just yeah. sitting there thinking, holy shit, what is, what has she done for us? This is amazing. You know, more, even more than we could possibly have thought. Um, and so, yeah, at uh, uh, three minutes past seven on the 6th of June in the evening, out popped Francis Newman Edwards. And um, he actually was facing, from what I could tell and from the video, he was facing the wrong way. He was facing up. And I think uh -huh. it was up or whatever, the, whatever was the wrong way. Yeah. And he actually had the cord slightly around his neck. 
Um, so the doctors didn't say anything about that. The nurse noticed it as well. Um, we had a, a brief chat about it, but yeah, super interesting. He came out and started crying and um, his reflexes and everything were completely fine. Um, there was no issues with cord or the breathing or anything. Their heart rates, both Alicia's and Frankie's heart rates weren't raised. So there was no, no reason to worry um, about any of that. Um, and yeah, basically Alicia recovered really, really quickly. Um, she's pretty healthy and active and you know, six months on, actually even only three months on, she was back into her, her normal genes, her, her original genes and oh, um, wow. running around on the touch field and everything else. You know, she's a, she's a real go-getter and, and uh, an absolutely amazing woman. So obviously we still keep in touch with her and um, we chat with her relatively frequently. Um, we uh, will be going down this year and she's coming up in March. Um, and then as for Elisa, Elisa sees Frankie very regularly. We spend Christmas and uh, most weekends together over the summer and things. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like we're super stoked to be um, to be so surrounded with so much support. Uh, and yeah. our family, you know, Frankie's got four sets of grandparents, two great uh, grandparents, two great grandparents um, on either side. Uh, and yeah, he's just had a visit from his American grandparents over Christmas. So he's pretty bloody lucky. If I, you know, when I die, I want to come back as Frankie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Frankie is, life, to be <laughs> yeah, Frankie is a very lucky little boy. And how so, did yeah. you and Mark go sort of in preparation? If we just take a little bit of a step back for Frankie joining the world, did you go to any antenatal classes or what sort of resources did you use to sort of help you through that? Yeah, that's a really good question. We sort of toed and froed around that. Like I was keen to do it based on getting a coffee group or a support network. Yeah. I wasn't really that interested in obviously learning about the labor and all mm-hmm. the pregnancy because I think most of that, uh, most of the antenatal classes covers that. And I think it's about two thirds of it. And I was like, ah, oh, but it's not super relevant. Um, Alicia's got it all under control. She's pretty independent. And yeah. I mean, we did learn a lot, obviously, when um, when birth time came, but we decided not to do that. Um, we did go to one antenatal class. I contacted one of the groups, and they managed to fit us in one Saturday morning where we just did the um, practical parenting segment. Um, it was a bit of a oh, – it was fine. You know, they showed us how to bath him. Uh, they showed us how to what clothes to put on, and you know, if we were to go camping or go away for one night, what would we pack? It was, to be honest, it was pretty common sense stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, we went to that for a couple of hours, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, it was fine. Nice to meet a couple of people, um, have a coffee and a biscuit. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, it wasn't super useful. But we're, yeah. I mean, we're thirty five and thirty six, or at the time thirty four and thirty five. Uh, we've been around kids and babies a lot, so. I think that would be really useful for new parents that haven't been around kids or babies um, and uh, probably younger um, or yeah, just, yeah. So that was, that was fine. Um, We otherwise, yeah, we didn't really have any other sort of training or induction to being a parent. Um, I definitely felt a lot more comfortable than Mark. As I said, you know, I've spent quite a lot of time around kids or my little nieces and other friends, babies and things. And I, it, you know, I don't stress out about picking up a new baby. Um, Mark, on the other hand, was a little bit like, what the fuck do I do? How does this work? <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he picked it up really quickly. And uh, I think even though he was working full time from about week two, um, he, yeah, he's a lot more comfortable now. He did have, well, he thinks he had postnatal depression. Um, when Frankie first came and he didn't have that connection with Frankie like I did 
Um, I was staying home with him frequently. You know, yeah. I was sleeping in his room with Frankie. Um, Mark was in the other room so he could get some sleep and actually go to work. Uh, so, yeah, that connection wasn't quite there. I was super grumpy for the first probably six weeks because I was tired and, um, you know, home by myself kind of thing. It was winter. I get seasonally affected by, um, the, you know, the lack of sun, et cetera, yeah. anyway. So um, lack of sleep, lack of sunlight, lack of getting out of the house, crying baby, um, and being home by myself, I wasn't in the best moods. And Mark would come home and dealing with that, you know, so it was a little bit of pressure and he kind of felt a little bit disconnected, which yep. was, yeah, he didn't tell me that until probably about eight weeks on. And he was like, oh, I actually think I've got place under depression and um, I don't feel connected to Frankie as much as obviously you do. Um, but then he said, but he was feeling a lot better at that time when he sort of realized in the past, that's what, how he'd felt. Yeah. And I was like, Oh God, that's no good. Um, but yeah, it was, that was, that was quite interesting. Um, how we sort of went about that, but yeah, didn't go to any classes to learn anything. I felt like we had enough support network. We had, a, we have a lot of friends with kids within the last year or two that have had babies. So we kind of got our own group, coffee group as such. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, in hindsight, like, Instagram has been the best thing that has ever yeah. my other than Frankie, obviously, and our heat pump because that's been a lifesaver. <laughs> but Instagram is probably number three on the list um, because, honestly, the network of people putting questions out there, the support, I actually didn't yeah. feel like I was home alone every day. It's been it's, – it's unreal. I don't think a lot of people would understand. They're like, well, that's the weirdest thing you could ever say. But having a community or a group of people there um, and just being able to chat and – you know, do videos and all that sort of stuff has made such a massive difference and has seriously impacted our life. Um, yeah. And, you know, I could go on and talk about the, the impacts of it in the future and how we do way more than we would have otherwise done and everything else. But, yeah, it's it's super weird. I don't know how my mum or anyone in the past got on uh, yeah. without social media or without specifically Instagram. You know, how did they find things out? How did they – like if there was a problem, I just Googled it or I'd um, ask someone on Instagram. I only ever ran – Run the plunket line once uh, when I thought I'd burned Frankie's mouth because I didn't wait for the water to cool down enough before giving him his bottle. Um, but yeah, it, it, there was no issues there, by the way. <laughs> it was completely <laughs> fine. Um, yeah. It was just one of those episodes. And so, yeah, like otherwise, I think we have a pretty cool network and support group of people from different, uh, different channels. And yeah. yeah, we're really lucky. Yeah. Amazing. I don't think that anything probably can train you or educate you enough for having a newborn. So I think it's awesome that you guys have the network you do on social media. Like you said, like what an incredible platform and way for you to connect with other people. And yeah. And what about the, I I've seen you sort of post a little bit about the adoption process with Frankie. Do you want to talk us through that and where you're up to with that at this stage? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, it's a, a very, very archaic old school process. It's extremely expensive. Uh, it's convoluted and nobody really understands it except from the sounds of it. One adoption lawyer in Auckland who charges absolute extortionate fees. Um, and that really pisses me off because I mean, we're, excuse me, we're comfortable and we could afford to pay these fees. I mean, I don't want to be paying $10,000 in lawyer's bills. Um, and I'm actually really trying to prove a point uh, because there are a lot of people that probably can't afford to do it and they're in a super vulnerable situation. Yeah. They're super desperate to have a child and they will. They'll find a way to pay it. But there's no way that people should be paying $10,000 to uh, a lawyer for an adoption process when actually it should be super easy. It should be able to be done 
uh, themselves. And so I have been really, really pushing this case. I, um, I have been doing the process myself. I've managed to work out exactly what's required. I've got the documents. I've been to the courts probably, I would say now about 12 times, um, and to actually physically see them, let alone actually calling them and calling the ministry as well. Um, because there's just been so many problems. Uh, people don't understand it for a start because it's so bloody complicated. Uh, and there's no one that really knows about it. We only in New Zealand, supposedly, I think it was the 2018 financial year or calendar year, there was 154 adoptions in the entire year. So it's not a massive business as such. Therefore, I guess there's not that many people that are, um, that are across it or have the knowledge around it. And saying that, there are going to be a lot more people that are doing it. You know, I know four people alone this year. So ourselves, two other gay guys in New Zealand, uh, and also Tony Street, who have gone through the surrogacy process and have had to go through that adoption process. Now, it is a relatively straightforward process. We found a surrogate. That person carried our child. I am biologically related to Francis, so I'm the father of the baby. The lawyers had said not to put our name on the birth certificate when we filed the birth certificate, so um, within five days after having the baby. So we didn't do that. So the current birth certificate states that Francis' mother, or parent only, is Alicia, so the birth mother. She is not biologically related to Francis at all. She's simply birthed him. And so the law from 1950s states that if the, the parent, or actually it says the mother, I think they may have updated it to be the parent now, uh, is the person that births the child. And so while she has no, you know, she still has contact, but she's not responsible or the guardian of the child, she's not related to the child at all, she is still the legal parent. Uh, the fight that I'm trying to challenge is that the law should state that if, you have a surrogate and the surrogate has agreed to everything. We've gone through the ethics committee process as we had done completely by the books. Uh, then we should be able to have that child. And, and from day one, we just need to put our details on that birth certificate. There should be no requirement for yeah. lawyers. There should be no legal you know, justification. It literally is you've agreed. It's been written down there prior to the baby are being born, therefore you guys are the parents or whoever has agreed. Um, now, same with females. And although it's interesting because I've spoken to a couple of lesbian couples and they have simply put their names down on the birth certificate when the baby has come out. Um, mm. And so I don't fully understand how that's any different. While one yeah. of the birth mothers is actually the mother, um, the other mother has put on the birth certificate. So it's, it's super convoluted um, and, again, really complex but the first part of this that we're trying to ascertain uh, is that we need to get a draft bill through to uh, through Parliament, and that needs to say that if you have a surrogate, the agreement's in place in advance, and the surrogate births a child, immediately the parents are the legal guardians, and that goes on the birth certificate. The second part is that for any lawyer costs, et cetera, that need to be involved, uh, either that needs to be completely wiped out and people should be able to do it themselves, all those costs need to come right, right down, uh, and people should be able to manage the process as much as they can, um, yeah, from my opinion anyway. And so back to your original question, uh, where are we at in the process? We have filed all the adoption papers, so that had to be done within 21 days of Frankie being born. So there is a legal requirement that as soon as he is born, those papers need to be signed and are submitted, so we had done that. 
further, actually, uh, just a little side story, is that the birth mother currently under law cannot sign the papers until after 10 days of their birth. So Frankie was born on the 6th. Alicia couldn't actually sign the papers until the 17th of June to say that she wanted to give him up or adopt him, uh, basically because you know there's time for her to think about and, and have attachment with the baby, etc. If she was the natural mother, um, in our in our case, you know, she basically was like, "Here, here's your child," and didn't want to get attached, etc. She didn't yeah. breastfeed Frankie. Um, she just uh, gave the um, the um, the first few days of the milk. I can't remember what that's called. The liquid colostrum. gold um, yeah. <laughs> colostrum. Yeah, perfect. That's it. And then, yeah, basically, you know, he was our child going forward. Um, she did stay yeah. with us for a, about a week or so afterwards as, as well while she was recovering. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so long story, long, long story is hopefully you guys yeah. are keeping up here. Um, it's, it's a very intertwined. But 10 days after the birth, she can sign off her rights. We then have to submit all of the forms within 28 days of the birth to the courts. Who knows what happens if we miss that date, which... To be honest, we actually did because there's a lot of to and froing with the courts, but sis still haven't turned up to uh, to come and take Frankie, which is great. Um, I don't know who they'd give him to anyway, like, to be honest, because Alicia doesn't want another child. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of the running joke. If we don't get yeah. an adoption through, what's going to happen? Who's going to take him? Um, so it's a bit of a waste of time and money and, um, and resources, uh, but yeah. we'll go into that again in a minute as well. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, we've submitted everything. It's with the courts. The courts uh, have viewed it. It took them five months to actually get around to seeing the application. They have then put it in front of a judge, and the judge has said, oh, I need more information on this. I have now appointed a lawyer um, on behalf of the judge. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? So I said, are you fucking kidding me? You're appointing a lawyer. You're getting paid, say, $400,000 a year to be a judge. The case is super cut and dry. We've provided so much information, all of the reports from our side, but also from uh, the Oranga Tamariki side, so old SIFs and now Oranga Tamariki. It's all there. Uh, so I don't know why a judge can't just make the decision and move on. So he's now appointed a lawyer. When I called them recently, I said, who's paying for this lawyer? Where's this coming from and why is it required? And they said, oh, the judge will make that decision at the end of the case as to who's going to pay for it. So, well, I'm not paying for it. I can tell the judge right now what the law is. I've spent the last seven or eight months working on this and I understand the law. I should hope that the, the judge um, can actually make that decision himself or herself. So, yeah, anyway, we're expected to speak to a lawyer um, whenever she gives us a call. Um, and it's the same lawyer that quoted us the $10,000 um, and we actually had a discussion around that. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. Um, but yeah, once that goes through in the next month or so, um, it'll then go back to the courts and hopefully they'll make a decision uh, that actually, yeah, we can put our names on the birth certificate. So such a massive rigmarole, massive waste of time, huge costs, and it's just unnecessary. So my fight yeah. is to change this. Um, the petition that I'll set up is to change the law around surrogacy. So if people engage a surrogate and the surrogate agrees, goes through the ethics committee process, which is time-consuming and expensive in itself, uh, then that should be the final word. And Louisa Wall, who is a, an MP, and she's great for making change around all of this sort of stuff. She uh, works through the Civil Union uh, and the Marriage Gay Marriage Act, um, as well as a number of other 
um, really key pieces of legislation. And she's on this one as well. So she's got a draft bill in front, well, not in front of them at the moment, but we're really pushing for that. And so we've got about 20, probably 23,000 supporters uh, based on the petition at the moment to say that this law needs to be changed. And uh, the likes of Tony Street as well has been pushing for it. And uh, I know that Jacinda Ardern has had it mentioned to her as well, which came up um, late last year. So watch this space. Definitely not going <laughs> to give up until it's been done. Um, I'm really, really passionate about it. And I, I just feel like something has to change and it has to change this year. Um, I'll be yeah. pushing. Yeah, seriously. Mm. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. If you could see me, I've been sitting here shaking my head through most of that. So yeah, what a frustrating process for you to have to go through as Frankie's dad's just, yeah, not fair. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. And you've mentioned a couple of times. So do you think that there'll be a little brother or sister hopefully in the future for Frankie? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like He's probably going to, he or she will probably be a little shit and we'll get our comeuppance and we won't be able to leave the house and yeah. probably have colic for two years and shit like that, you know, because we've been so lucky. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm just going to, I'll blame Mark. I'll be like, mm, it's your genes, babes. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, the next baby is going <laughs> to, the next baby is going to be Mark's, um, Mark's sperm. So I've just left that ball in his court. He's not quite ready to go through the process just yet. Um, I don't know why, because I've been ready for another baby before Frank was even born. I want a twin, but yeah. um, don't know whether or not. We're happy with with just one. Um, so yeah, it's up to it's up to Mark to take that next step. I've pushed a lot um, for to get to Frankie, and so um, now it's yeah, it's he needs to go into Fertility Associates and and give us give them his goods, and uh, yeah, we can start the process. We obviously have to find a surrogate. Uh, we haven't broached the subject with Alicia or not, um, so that will be something that we need to discuss uh, whether or not she would be willing to do it again. I mean, obviously, we would absolutely love her to do it again. Because yeah. one, she's amazing, super independent. You know, we trust each other, and, and everything just went so well. But also because um, the difficulties of having to find a surrogate and then go through that whole process again from start to finish. Yeah. Um, it would also mean that you know the, the kids have sort of got the same grandparents and same lines of, of relationships, etc., which is pretty cool mm-hmm. as well. So. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I would ideally love to get that process started this year because it may take two years. You know, if we yeah. have to find a new surrogate or if Alicia did agree to it, it might be another year or two until she's ready with her commitments or whatever. And then, you know, we were lucky last time that Frankie took the first the first embryo and um, off we go. So it could take numerous rounds. Um, Mark's sperm may not be any good. You know, there's so many things that could go wrong. So, yeah, of course, I'm counting all my chickens before they hatch, as I always <laughs> do, but um, got to stay positive, right? Yeah, for sure. Just on, I did touch on it before, around that Instagram community. Like, it's amazing where we've come from and, and how we've grown and the, the community that we've got. I said, I sort of said at one point, the things that we do I wouldn't have probably done had I not been on Instagram, so the support and um, you know, just the things that we do, I do now uh, push myself and go out of my way to actually do things that I wouldn't have otherwise done because we've got that community and that support and that following, um, yeah. which is super interesting. You know, it, it's really, really good for us um, as a family. I think we do more um, out in society or the community sharing things, whereas previously we may not have done it. And I know yeah. social media gets a lot of flat and I'm always being told to get off my phone and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But actually I really enjoy 
what we are sharing um, and the inspiration that we get or provide to certain people that they can now have kids or that they didn't realize they were in a certain situation or um, understanding the process of everything that we've gone through uh, has been, yeah, really, really inspiring for both us but also for other people. So super grateful and stoked to be part of the community and it's provided a massive and amazing platform for us to be able to share our, our journey, which is bloody cool. Yeah, for sure. And you've definitely got a very loyal following because I had so many messages asking me to get you guys on to talk. So thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, (laughs) that's so cool. Yeah, honestly, they're amazing. The people that send messages and follow and, you know, it's just, it's so cool. I crack up every day and if I'm in a bad mood, I just look through messages and I laugh and people are, people are awesome. You know, definitely restores my faith in humanity um, when I check out our followers and, and the messages. So yeah, that's, that's so cool. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Christian. I can't wait to edit your episode and get it out there. Thanks, Jordan. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. So either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at Kiwi Birth Tales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.